Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing, where each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom from the female perspective. Everything from Star Wars, to The Office, to cosplay, to fanfic. It's all right here, so sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of It's a Fandom Thing. This week we're going to be talking about Spike Lee's film, Do the Right Thing, which came out 31 years ago and is still incredibly relevant to today. So before we get into Do the Right Thing and before I have everybody introduce themselves, uh, just another quick reminder that we are taking listener sponsorship right now, listener support. You can do that through the link in the show notes or go to our anchor page and click on listener support. And for as little as 99 cents a month, you can help support the show. But like I've said, uh, from now until at least October 1st, I will probably be extending that again. Everything we receive from that will be going to various Black Lives Matter organizations. Um, and then also the same thing goes for anything we receive from the one advertisement we have right now. Um, and if we get any more sponsors as well, that, that stuff through at least October 1st will be going to Black Lives Matter organizations. Okay, so let's go around and have everybody introduce themselves and tell me one thing in pop culture that you're excited about right now. I'll start with you, Eli. Um, Eli Bazan, um, like I said, co-founder of the Parasol Patrol. Um, my one thing right now in anticipation of season four, I am torturing <laughs> Pasha and making her rewatch Wine on Earth with me. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, I still need to watch that show. <laughs> <laughs> no, you really don't. Oh, it's so amazing. <laughs> so amazingly horrible. I love it. No, you really don't. <laughs> And Pasha? I'm Pasha. I'm the other co-founder of the Parasol Patrol. Uh, she, her, hers, and all that. But, uh, yeah, he's making me watch Winona Earp. And I keep telling him that if he likes Winona, he needs to go back and watch Lost Girl, which was the first show they did. And a lot of the things they used in Winona were, were originally in Lost Girl, and I thought it was a much better show personally. And I, so I'm torturing him back and making him watch Orphan Black. So that's kind of our nerdy fandoms. Other than that, or as especially with work goes, we've been focusing a lot more with youth-led uh, uh, 10 for 10 uh, groups around racial justice and around um, Black Lives Matter movements, and, and, and uh, especially here locally with Elijah McClain. Murder and supporting the kids in those things with Parasol Patrol. Wonderful. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. Tiffany? Hi, Tiffany. Thanks for welcoming me back, Erin. Um, right now, thing I'm most excited about I just finished season two of a show called Hannah, and that's on Amazon Prime. 
And it's about a young girl who was basically part of a, she's, I think she's enhanced. They don't go into really detail about it, but it seems like she's enhanced. So she's got all of these um, spy-like qualities and then like enhanced strength sort of. And um, she's just, she's overall just a really, really, really very dope character because she's trying to get other uh, young girls out of that organization. It's kind of like the Red Room from Marvel. So like what um, Natasha Romanoff was a part of, it's sort of like that. So it's really, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Um, it's, I think, 10 episodes each. Yeah, each season is 10 episodes and it's really, really good. Muriel um, Ennis is in it. She plays a kind of a shady character in season one. And she's um, kind of redeemed in season two. So definitely check it out. It's really good. And that is based on, on the movie that came out, right? Like it is, but it, um, yes, with, um, Shersha Ronan, I think mm-hmm. that yeah, I cannot pronounce Shersha. her first name. Shersha. Thank you. Yeah. It's um, hard. My sister's middle name. So that's <laughs> I'm, just, I'm not good with the, uh, with the Gaelic. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's based off of that, um, but it goes a little bit further in depth than it. And the uh, the young girl who plays Hannah, her name is Esme, and I can't recall what her last name is. She's got a hyphenated last name, uh, but she's really, really good in it, really. She plays vulnerable, but she also plays, like, really strong. It, it's a really, really great performance, so definitely check it out. Yeah, that's one I've got to check out. I think I have it on my watch list in my Prime account for sure, because I loved the movie. So I got to check that out. Um, and this is Aaron, and I have a really embarrassing thing I'm going to say that I'm into because it's not quality <laughs> entertainment by any means. I have been um, watching <laughs> Rock of Love, which was <laughs> the, <laughs> the VH1 reality show where Brett Michaels from Poison yes. was looking for love yeah he was not looking for love Um, (laughs) (laughs) and it's complete trash there's no redeeming value to this show whatsoever and it's basically just watching a guy go okay i'm just gonna nail a bunch of chicks um that's really what the show is (laughs) (laughs) but for some reason it's been um a nice distraction (laughs) so i'm admitting that this is we're going to be doing an episode coming up soon and i and um carla and tiffany are going to be on it talking about guilty pleasures and so this definitely fits into that category (laughs) for sure so okay so now let's get into do the right thing and i'm gonna go around and just see when what your initial impressions were of the film when you first saw it um start with you eli uh i remember seeing it uh not in theaters but when it first came out on uh on a vhs tape um and uh i was i remember being young and being very impressed with uh how real it was and what a, a true depiction it was of some neighborhoods um and it was not where I lived. Um, so it, it was a, it definitely a, a different look um, from what I was used to, but very, very powerful. And Pasha? Well, I, I, I have a kind of different perspective in that I had not seen it before. And oh, really? after, unfortunately, the George Floyd was, you know, situate murder, 
uh, occurred. Uh, we were watching Don Lemon on CNN and he had Spike Lee on there and they were talking about it. And I told Eli, I said, you know, I've always wanted to, but I haven't seen that movie. And as soon as the interview was over, he immediately turned it on. He's like, no, you don't understand. You have to see this. And we, uh, uh, and I, how many times did you see it when you were a kid? Oh, I, I watched this thing over. It was, it was one of my movies that I would watch um, just as, as uh, I don't know. It was just, it was very powerful. And I, I watched it dozens of thought hundreds of times and so so yeah so of course it was yeah it was it was very startling uh to see the parallels and how things have not freaking changed also just the different dynamics one of the well never mind one of the eli is 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 uh mexican descent i'm korean descent and so um one of my son is black and just the, even not just the, what has happened before, but the difference cultures within the movie and how they're portrayed, et cetera. It was, it was, it was really honestly kind of frightening that things have not changed. So. Mm-hmm. And Tiffany. I saw it probably when I was about maybe 13 or 14. So this was after it, it had come out. So like, a lot, not a long time, but several, several years after it come out. Um, I know my parents weren't trying to let me see it when I was like nine. <laughs> they just <laughs> were not. So I probably was in my mid-teens, um, early teens when I saw it. And it's one of those stark things. Uh, I think, you know, Pasha, you said it when you see the the cultural elements within it and how they they treated each other. And when I did see it, uh, this was right when, I don't know if you all remember, uh, a girl named Latasha Harlins. She Mm -hmm. was actually murdered by a Korean shop owner. And because he he accused her, uh, she accused her of stealing uh, a bottle of orange juice. And I'm recalling that scene in the movie and I'm like, oh man, this is just, it, it is such a parallel to things that were happening in in my real life. I mean, Latasha Harlins was probably maybe, I think she was two years older than me. So, and it it was a stark reminder of what can happen to me as a black woman going into any shop and and being accused. I've I've been profiled multiple times when I walk into a store, uh, anything like that. It it, it was a really stark reminder. So a a powerful piece of, of fiction that had elements of uh, a lot of elements of truth in it. Yeah. And I, and I'm pretty sure I was a teenager too. When I saw it, I know I saw it on VHS. I know I didn't see it in the theaters and it's, and watching it the other day, it's just as powerful now as it was then. And it's just as striking now as it was then. And I think then seeing it as a teenager and seeing it as, as a white teenager, you know, I, I'm, don't deal with the same issues that other people do. I just don't. As a white person, I have a lot of privilege. Um, but I think it was a very important film to see, and I think it was a very important film for a lot of people to watch and see. Um, and, you know, Spike Lee, and we'll get into this, is is a genius filmmaker. I mean, he just is. He's just amazingly talented, both in front of and behind the screen, because we'll get into his character in the film as well. Um, and yeah, I just remember it leaving me 
um, just in awe, really, just an absolute awe and just uh, with the power of film too. Um, you know, film is such an important medium and you should, and it needs to be used to get messages across as well. So I just, I just was really struck with how powerful it was and how powerful all of pretty much all of Spike Lee's films can be. Um, and yeah, so I was just very, very, I think, and I'm pretty sure it was the first Spike Lee movie I saw. And so it led me to seek out other Spike Lee joints for sure. So let's get into the characters um, because there are a lot of amazing characters in this movie. Um, Eli, what are your thoughts on the general thoughts on the characters? And do you have any characters in spe- specifically that you want to point out? I thought the casting was amazing. Um, Kasha brought up some fun facts a little bit earlier that I actually didn't hadn't realized um, that there are two sets of siblings in the film. Um, you have Spike Lee and his sister, and then mm-hmm. um, well, no, the mayor I'm... and mother's sister are, are, are husband and wife. So yeah, it was Ozzy Davis um, and Davis are. And I, I, so I, I think there was a, probably a certain dynamic on set that really helped with, with, with kind of making everything gel. Um, I think that um, that uh, Buggin' Out's character was was very well done. Um, just being as that kind of classic agitator, um, and all it takes is that one in the crowd for, 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 for things to really go bad. I think that was very well portrayed. Yeah, especially when they're right. You know, um, mm-hmm. and and I I also noticed the names just looking through the cast of the police officer in the end that um, kills uh, Radio Rahim is Danny Aiello's son in real life. Mm-hmm. So that was so there was a lot of people that kind of knew each other and hung out and, and like a lot of directors we reused the same actors for different. But as far as the character development, one of the things that also struck me, because I'm, I'm old enough to be all y'all's mother, I'm old enough to be your mom, and I remember the 80s very, very well, and, and because I hadn't seen it before, for me it was also a throwback to the 80s, so it was kind of this disconnect with the characters, that they are still so valid and so relevant and so current, even with all the bright colors and everything from the 80s. It was kind of- Tiffany? Um, I think my favorite character is actually bugging out. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito is so underrated, in my opinion, from uh, things like Do the Right Thing to his turn in uh, He Was Just in the Mandalorian. And he does such a great job of really absorbing the character that he is and then just exploding out. You know, whether it's a contained energy like in The Mandalorian or it's something like Bugging Out where he is, I mean, he is just an energetic ball of fire and do the right thing. And I love seeing somebody uh, really embrace that. And then somebody like um, Radio Rahim, who is probably somewhere on the spectrum. And you realize the, I mean, the absolute parallels that it is to real life. I'm thinking of somebody like Wallace Walder who was killed by the uh, Tuscaloosa PD uh, in 2019, who had a long history of mental health challenges. And when somebody you know has a mental health breakdown or or even just an episode, 
the last person you want to call, the last people you want to call is the police. Because we're talking about trigger happy, um, basically like video characters, video game characters who have no training whatsoever to to deal with somebody who is going through a breakdown, who, who is having an episode. So that's an extreme parallel, I think, uh, and a valid parallel. Um, and besides, and Bill Nunn played that character, you know, rest in peace, Bill Nunn, who was a, an absolute fantastic actor. Uh, Bill Nunn played that character too. I mean, just absolutely to a T. Um, and besides that, I think, honestly, uh, John Turturro as Pino was, was really, really good. He's another one that just, uh, he just is so versatile. He's a chameleon. Every character, I, I truly believe he's every character that he plays. He's, he's great. Yeah. yeah. All great. Great. And I want to give just a, um, Shout out to Smiley, the character Smiley, um, which is, I mean, Roger, um, and I know I'm going to butcher his middle name, Gwyn- Guinevere, Guinevere, I just, for some reason, it looks like Smith was really good in that role, too. And that was another character that you, s- my heart ached for him in some scenes, um, because, especially the scene where John Turturro's character Pino just starts yelling at him, screaming for him to go away and leave and leave and leave and just get, you know, get away from their shop was such a painful, painful scene to watch. And I thought that performance was really great. Um, I thought it was really great to have that character in there and to see people giving him compassion as well and not just being beaten down, but giving some, giving him some compassion. And when he got some power, especially, especially in the end when he puts up the pictures of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. That was just, I mean, that's just a really powerful scene. And then you see him smile. That was just beautiful, beautiful scene. Um, And then of course, Ossie Davis and Ruby D. I mean, they are just amazing. We've talked about Ossie Davis before when we talked about um, Bruce Campbell's film, Bubba Hotep. And how great he was in that. Oh, I love when, that. Yeah, when he was playing, uh, when he's playing JFK. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he's he's just he's fantastic. And both of them, you know, were just amazing, amazing actors, amazing talent. And I loved the way uh, the mayor and mother sister and how they played off of each other. Their scenes were so entertaining to watch, and especially the way mother sister approached. Him was just so incredible. She was awesome. She was just an awesome, yeah. awesome character. Yeah, and and I agree about bugging out. And the scene when bugging out confronts uh, the white guy when he, you know, when he steps on his shoes, his new yeah. shoes, and the white guy's you know total gentrification thing moving into this neighborhood, and that whole scene was so <laughs> was so great. I just loved the way he did that and what he said and watching the reactions and. Yeah, that was probably one of my favorite scenes um, in the movie, actually. And he he was, yeah, Giancarlo Esposito is an incredible actor. Incredible. So good. good. I I had to confess to Eli that I've had a huge crush on Giancarlo Esposito (laughs) for so, so long. But, I mean, Ozzy Davis and Ruby Dee doing this film and doing all the Spike Lee films that they did is just, to me, such a kind of breaking that wall, that fourth wall kind of thing, because they were such amazing activists. And Ossie Davis delivered Malcolm X's eulogy at his funeral. I mean, it's, it's, 
they did so much within the community, not just, I mean, because now we see people who judge actors and so on and so forth because they come out and speak in defense of whatever it is that their passion is. Uh, when back then, I mean, they worked with Sidney Poitier, they worked with, you know, uh, in that whole generation, and they were out there. They were out there doing real work and, and being active in the community within the civil rights movement itself. And so seeing them in these roles, in these kinds of movies, I'm sure for them must have been very gratifying to be able to mix their two passions between acting and civil rights movement uh, activism together. I don't know, but that, that's just my extrapolation. Mm-hmm. That, that was my feeling that I got. They really uh, were committed to the roles that they played with Spike Lee. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's let's talk about. I mean, we've already mentioned the performances a little bit, um, but let's talk a little bit more about them. Let's talk about um, Mookie too, because we haven't really mentioned Mookie too much. So let's talk about Spike Lee's character and also Spike Lee's performance in the film. Um, Eli, um, it's, it's Spike Lee. You know, um, he doesn't pull any punches, um, and. Uh, I, I think it was very relevant him wearing the uh, 42 Jersey. I think that was, you know, just kind of a a very powerful statement of what he was wearing. Um, I think Mookie was the one just trying to kind of get along and trying to, trying to find his way, uh, take as many shortcuts as possible, but just trying to get the job done. Um, And his character was so powerful and and the way he played off of everybody uh, was just really great. And Pasha? Um, well, I mean, Spike Lee is always Spike Lee, whether he's doing an interview or, or playing a character. <laughs> um, uh, kind of like Keanu Reeves is always Keanu Reeves, no matter what character he That having been said, his message and what he has to say is very direct, and I think it's great. But I also like that, you know, Do the Right Thing is kind of still left in a way, I have my strong opinions about whether or not he did the right thing, his character, by throwing uh, and breaking the window. But, I mean, some people still debate about whether or not that was the right thing to do. And the way he closed it with the two quotes between Malcolm X and, and, and um, uh, you know, I just thought that, you know, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., that the, the, the mix between that and the Radio Rahim... Eli was reading the the quote from Radio Rahim about love and hate and about how that static is life. And his character was really good at loving. I mean, his, his conversation with Vito about Vito doing the right thing with his brother and back and forth. It was, even though Spike, what I'm trying to say is even though Spike Lee is always Spike Lee and always very direct it's still a very layered, complex character. And I think he did a great job with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Tiffany? It's, it's interesting the way Spike approaches his uh, performance as an actor versus what he does behind the camera. Uh, I think a lot of times he almost mutes his energy a bit. Uh, you don't see necessarily the same energy on screen that you see that he gives us in interviews. 
but this is one of the films that I think he lets that energy out in, in short bursts because a lot of times he's, he's pretty mellow in the movie. It almost seems like he's, like he's smoked a joint and he's pretty, <laughs> like he's pretty, he's kind of relaxed at times um, yeah. and really sort of lackadaisical. And I get it. He's got this very mundane job. Uh, he's struggling with, uh, with trying to make enough money to take care of his kid and take care of his girl. And it's a, uh, it's a grind. And I think a lot of his performance reflects how he feels about that, that very much ground down feeling. And to top it off, they're in the middle of a heat wave in New York. And you know, it smells like hot garbage in New York in <laughs> during a heat wave. And that's just, it, it, ground, it grinds you down and it makes you feel like things are a bit helpless and helpless. Um, and he plays that, I think, really, really well in this movie. And the fact that this was only his third film is uh, really impressive to me. Super impressive, uh, especially when you see the differential between uh, his first one, you know, She's Gotta Have It, and then you see School Days, which is actually, I like School Days a lot too. Um, but this being his third film, just, it, it, it blows my mind every time I watch it. Yep. Yeah, he's 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 pretty incredibly, he's incredibly talented. And, you know, I embarrassed myself in the last podcast because I said he was an L.A. Lakers fan. <laughs> and that's not uh, he was a Dyer oh, fan of. I know, I had to put correction beforehand <laughs> because I was like, oh, man, Aaron. <laughs> I put a little correction in front of it and went, no, 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 no. It's the New York Knicks. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> so I'm like, I can't believe I did that, but I did. Um, but yeah, I think, I, and his character, you know, with the, what you're saying, Tiffany, with him being so laid back and he does appear that way throughout the whole thing. And I like that thing of saying he seems like he just smoked a joint. <laughs> like, that's true. He's very, very laid back from the very first scene you see him in. Um, and it's interesting because in the end, he kind of in a way comes back to that. It's a little bit more fiery, but the ending scene, which we'll get into, you still have a little bit of that relaxed nature in there. But what was so interesting about watching his character is during the climatic, the, the climatic scene, excuse me, you see this inner anger that I think was always there. And he just kept pushing it down and shoving it down and, um, ignoring it and then it was like just a fuse got lit and that's when he threw the trash can but you could see it even before he did that you could just see without him saying any words while he was just observing everything going on that it was there um, and so it's a very interesting performance because he is so laid back that when that happens it it works it's more powerful than if he had been going that way the whole time um if that makes sense it's just it's it's a very interesting performance and an interesting character as well um and very enjoyable to watch i thought and yeah he's we'll get you know i'm i keep saying how brilliant spike lee is but he really truly is he's really a gifted gifted artist there are just some filmmakers that are just natural filmmakers and they know exactly what they're doing and they don't make very many mistakes kind of thing. And they know how to really, really use the medium. 
And he is definitely one of those for sure. Um, and this wasn't on the outline, but I just want to mention really quickly, and then we can get into some more characters, with, I mean, performances, if there's anything else anybody wants to mention. But when I was watching it again, I, I made a note, you know, there's a lot of, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Dutch angle with the camera when it's tilted, you know, and um, there's a lot of Dutch angles in this film. And I just thought that was really interesting because a lot of times that's used to make you feel uncomfortable or make it feel like not everything's okay. It's used a lot in horror, like in American horror story, you'll see it used constantly, almost too, almost too much sometimes. But it's used a lot in horror movies or things to just make you feel a little bit um, uneasy. I don't know if anybody else noticed those or has any other comments or feedback on those. The use of Dutch angles? I feel like it's um, the same kind of premise as Spielberg using uh, like uh, that, that tight close-in on Roy Schneider and Jaws. It feels like that to me. Like when it's in that music in, in the background, you know something is coming and when they get that close-up on the face of Schneider, I feel like the Dutch angle is kind of along the same line. There's a um, they're pretty equal. It does, like you said, Aaron. It makes you feel uncomfortable. It makes you feel. It makes the like the hair on your arms kind of stand at attention and stand mm-hmm. up. It just makes you know that something is coming and that something is just not going to be good overall. So I like the I like the use of it. Like you said, in American Horror Story, it is used too much. Uh, so it has to be an effective medium. You have to pick and choose when you actually use it because when you, yeah. when you bring it out then it is that much more powerful. Yeah. Cause it is that it, it gives you that sense of, it can either give you a sense of dread, a sense that not everything's right, that there's something else going on under the surface. And that's a lot of what happens in this movie anyways. There's a lot of build up and build up and build up and build up. And even when there's just ordinary things going on, there's still that little bit of tension underneath there that the movie's trying to build. And I think those Dutch angles really, really helped with that. I just made a note of that when I was watching it the other day, because I, I mean, I'm sure I remembered them, but they didn't strike me as much as they did uh, watching it this time. So Um, does anyone want to talk about any of the other performances in the film? I think we have to mention uh, Mitchell Senior Love Daddy as the narrator of (laughs) of, uh, what's going on in the film. Um, As always, Samuel Jackson commands a a performance. You know, he just every time he's on the mic, you just you just kind of listen to what he's saying, and uh, I I think that was a really powerful role as the kind of narrator of what was what was going on. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, he's great. I don't know if anybody um, watched his narration that he did for the pandemic pandemic saying, stay the fuck home. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. It was, it was very, it was kind of a take on his, when he read that book, yeah. uh, go yeah. the fuck to sleep. Yep. That was, <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I love yeah. that. I also have to say, I was surprised by Richard Edson who, uh, played Vito, the mm-hmm. brother. Um, he's not, a huge talent of course i know him from way back when when he was one of the original i'm uh, like i said i'm old enough to be all y'all's mother but i was an old punk and he was one of the original uh uh members of uh sonic youth was it sonic youth anyway um 
Oh, he was? Yeah, Sonic Youth. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought I had that right. Let me think about it. Yeah, it has to be Sonic Youth. And uh, But all I can see him in, I have to admit, I, this is terrible, and this movie is so amazing. The only time I was ever taken out of the movie was when I saw him initially and thought of Ferris Bueller's Day Off in that car and him soaring over the... <laughs> Oh my god, I forgot he was in that. That's awesome. But that's all that's the only time I was actually kind of taken out of the movie was when I saw him initially, and I that's all I could think of was that car soaring over. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any other performances you want to call out, Tiffany? Um I I can't believe I hadn't mentioned her before, but uh Rosie Perez as Mm -hmm. Tina. Um and looking back, you know, I read an interview with her a few years ago where she was saying how um, uncomfortable she was with uh, some of the scenes that she had to do. I'm thinking specifically of her, their love scene. And she said how uncomfortable she was. And, and looking back on it, I can see in a lot of the scenes she does, she carries this uncomfortability on her face. And I think that helps her performance. But I feel really... I feel really badly about the fact that she felt like that in real life. Um, I think any actor would hate to to feel that way and to feel almost um, degraded a bit. Uh, yeah. But it, it really, um, I, I think it's a good, it's a strong performance by her considering it was one of her first performances as an actor. Um, and then uh, Joie Lee, Spike's sister, uh, as yeah. Jade. She's so calming. And she's like this in, in a lot of films. Uh, she's just, she's very calm presence. Uh, she's got a lot of, I think she brings a lot of gravitas to the roles that she plays. And I like her face. She's got a, um, she's got an angular face, but somehow she still feels very soft to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so really strong performance, I think, from her too. And um, Danny Aiello is, is Sal, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's an awful awful character he's a terrible Mm -hmm. character i mean you you hate him when you see him and and the way he talks and the way he he walks it's just that he's an awful character but that's how you know danny played him exceptionally Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. i also want to say that the the characters the three older guys that sat there and had kind of the dialogue about the korean shop owners across the way and so on and so forth I thought that their just banter back and forth was very well done in the sense that it just felt like it wasn't scripted, that it mm-hmm. was just them talking about stuff. And, um, you know, um, so I think that was, they. sometimes it's the more understated performances that I think are really give a sense of reality to the movie more than, you know, just the little side things yeah. like that. So, but I'm not a huge fan film major and know all the stuff that you guys know <laughs> just just as somebody who's watching the movie and just enjoying it as as uh you know as a plebe so <laughs> well no that's that's a good good point because i do think you know sometimes over the top performances or performances that are more showy can get more attention than performances that are more um centered i guess would be a word for it um and more grounded uh, quieter performances. I'm not saying that those guys were quieter. I'm just saying, you know, more yeah. um, l- like you were saying, just they they serve a great 
the characters served a great purpose and the performances were good, were really good. Um, because it, it can be a lot harder to, you know, act when you don't have a big, huge mo- monologue or you don't have a big showy perf- role that sometimes can be harder to do those quieter performances. So, yeah, they definitely were really good as well. And, you know, what's interesting is originally Spike Lee wanted Robert De Niro for the character of Sal. And Robert De Niro didn't want to do it because it was too similar to all the characters he's played before. So just an interesting little bit of trivia there. Yeah. Which, you know, which is, I mean, you see Robert De Niro's photo, of course, in the movie hanging up on the wall. Um, Yeah. And, and Danny Aiello his his interaction, the character of Sal, his interactions with Jade, that one scene was so creepy wow. to me. Oh, yeah. Yes, was. yes. Absolutely. Oh, so uncomfortable to watch that. I yeah. was, oh, that it just makes you makes you really sick to your stomach. Um, but a really great performance to be able to get that. And everybody, you know, Rosie Perez, I want to mention the opening where she's dancing to fight the power and that whole opening credit sequence is so good so good um so i just want to mention that really quickly what were you guys thoughts of the on the opening credit sequence i thought it was incredibly powerful uh, like, like you said it was just um you could see the power um and the energy of, of her performance just shining through she was uh there was some legit anger there and, and some legit she was she was fired up Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I just, I don't know that it was all choreographed, but it was, yeah, it was I, just visually, it was, it was a great way to open the film in the sense that it kind of puts you right there in that mindset of everything to prepare you for what was coming. So that's what I like. And Tiffany? Felt, I, I like what you just said, um, Tasha, about it being, you know, you don't know if it's if it was choreographed because it feels almost like she's doing some of the movements feel a bit like crumping and mm-hmm. crumping, if you've never seen it, is just basically it's this visceral, powerful movement of body. Um, some of it is what they call uh, in the dance world anima- animator or animation where it's a lot of um, controlled movement. Some of it looks like popping. Some of it looks like popping and locking, Um, but really like extreme bursts of energy. And that's kind of what it feels like when she's doing it. So um, I like to think in my mind that it wasn't choreographed, that Rosie just heard the song and just decided, Hey, I'm just going to go for it. And they just rolled for, you know, that, that minute or or two. And, uh, and then we, we, flow into the movie after that so uh i love it i love the opening i think it's one of the uh the best openings that i've seen in a movie before because it uh, it just it's it lays the groundwork and it lays the table it sets the table for what's coming up and it also reminds me i don't know if you've all seen um the opening to living single yes <laughs> yeah. it reminds me it reminds <laughs> me of that like, even though that's happy and that's um more uh more of a you know obviously it's a comedy but big les who was a dancer uh for that it, it kind of reminds me of that uh her being in the silhouette and and mm-hmm. in the shadow and you seeing that it kind of reminds me of that yeah, yeah I, can I see that. 
I was a dance teacher for a long time and I've studied a lot of different kinds of dance my whole life. And I think a lot of it was not great. I think a lot of it was just spontaneous and a lot of it wasn't dance. Like you said, a lot of it was just moving and feeling that emotion. And I think that dance can be so emotive. I think it's underrated as, as an art form mm-hmm. in things like film. And so it was, I, that was one of my favorite parts. Yeah. And it's, it, and it's, in doing that performance, she's basically telling the story of the film. It's like giving an outline of what's to come in every movement that she does throughout that performance, throughout that. It's it's really incredible. And, of course, if, if people don't know, she was one of the fly girls on In Living Color, too. So, yeah. yeah and, sorry, Sonny, uh, the guy that plays Sonny, he also went on to be on In Living Color. And he married the... Um, uh oh gosh i can't believe i forgot her name uh the uh okay the white actress that was on there um and they got married and they're still married they have kids and it's just such an interesting thing that in living color a lot of their past came from spike lee films in general so (laughs) interesting dichotomy there that that uh these serious films go into comedy and the the versatility of between dance and acting and, and everything else is just remarkable. Yeah. And I want to shout out a film for Rosie Perez because it's one of my favorite films anyway, but she's so fantastic is the movie fearless with Jeff Bridges. And she was actually nominated for an Academy Award for that film. So I highly recommend watching that because she is really incredible in that film. She has a whole scene in a car. I'm not going to give it away, but what she does in that is if you're not crying, then you don't have a heart kind of feeling. It's a really good movie. It's all about a guy who, um, and she's in the, the plane crash with him too. Is It's all about a plane crash and what happens to a couple of people after they survive that plane crash. So it's, it's a really, really good film, but I highly recommend it, especially for her performance. So yeah, just want to get just want to give a little shout out to that. Um, yeah, and then we haven't mentioned, but um, did we talk about more Martin Lawrence in here too? Because I just want to point that out. <laughs> oh, yeah. See all these people before they were <laughs> before they were big. <laughs> Let's talk about what the title means to you. Um, what does the title mean to you, Eli? I, that's a deep one, right? I mean, that's. Um... Is it what uh, is it what Mookie did? Um, is it what uh, is it what the mayor did by trying to stop the mob by burning down um, the uh, Korean shop? Um, there's it could be interpreted in a lot of ways, um, and I think that's what, what, what's really great about it is it, it, it kind of shows um, that each person has to do the right thing, and, and that looks different for every person. And yeah, posh. I, I uh, um, like I said, I was new to this movie, and and so it's, I have a different point of view. It is so interesting because I googled just did Mookie do the right thing? I just googled it, and if you go to articles from you know 2012, they're all saying no, he didn't do the right thing. Da 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 da. But if you come to more current articles since the riots and the, and the demonstrations that have gone on here in the last couple months. Um, they're saying absolutely he did the right thing. And Spike Lee himself in that interview that I mentioned that on CNN with Don Lemon that Eli and I watched, he said that 
he doesn't know that uh, rioting is the right thing to do or not, but he certainly understands why uh, this is happening. And I personally um, am totally on Team Mookie here. I really think that we were watching, just to apply it to real life, we were watching online from Unicorn Riot and all these online news organizations, all the things that were happening in all the communities across the country in CNN and, and, you know, MSNBC and Fox, nobody was reporting any of it. And we're talking some serious stuff that was going down. We're like, why is the news not reporting this? And it wasn't until they caught that police station on fire that they finally broke into the regular news and it had been going on for three or four nights beforehand. And so I hate to say this, but because I want to, I want to say that I'm a pacifist. I want to say, but that's what it took for people to start paying attention, whether it's right or whether it's wrong. That's what it took. And I think Spike Lee made that exact point at the end of the movie by, um, First showing the quote by Martin Luther King talking about how peaceful protest was the way to go, followed it exactly, followed it right after um, by Malcolm X, you know, saying sometimes force is necessary. So um, I think that was very powerful. And Tiffany? I, like Eli said, it's, it's such a, a loaded question. It's so deep because what what is the right thing in the film? What is the right thing in real life? Um, is the right thing, obviously the right thing is the police not killing Radio Rahim in mm-hmm. the movie, but don't we have to go further than that? Don't we, it should, we should expect more from the people who are paid by our tax dollars to serve and to protect. Service goes more than, oh, I'm just not going to kill this very, very harmless black man, right? Or black yeah. woman. It's it's being an active and vibrant part of a community. Uh, it's not just standing by and passively watching things, number one, or standing by and not doing anything when you see your fellow officer doing something egregious. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, yes, Mookie does do the right thing. And, you know, even Dr. King, they put the, they put the quote about peaceful protests at the end of it, but even Dr. King stated that a riot is the language of the unheard. So, I mean, not only that, um, I, I'm remembering a quote from Audre Lorde and she said for the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. They may allow us temporarily to beat him at his own game, but they are never, but they never enable us to bring about genuine change. So, I mean, just think about that. Let that marinate in your mind. If she's saying that the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house, that means that we cannot trust the police to dismantle, you know, systemic racism. We cannot trust the courts to dismantle systemic racism. Uh, we can't trust any of that to bring about actual physical structural change that it just won't do. So, in that regard. Yes, burning things down and um, basically gutting things is the way to go. If, mm-hmm. if we're talking about what Audrey Lord is, uh, is describing in that quote. So, um, 
hey, burn, baby, burn, right? <laughs> I think that's yeah. what I think that's what Spike was uh, was telling us is the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and and people forget, you know, everybody wants to have this kumbaya attitude and think that that's the only way that change ever is is made. And when you look back through history, the way big changes have been made hasn't always been through peaceful protest. It just doesn't always, it doesn't happen that way. You know, you, you, it just doesn't always happen that way. And what Mookie does in the film is an act of, is an act of protest and is an act of, of wanting to make change in there. And that, that is the way that sometimes you have to make change, you know, and some people may say that's not the right thing to do, but in that situation, it is, it was the right thing to do. There have been you know, so many people, people will listen are, to that. Yeah. I, I, I mean, as an activist, people have always said you work better from the inside out. If you work better, you know, from within the system and working out and, and, but most revolu- most real change comes from the outside, not from the inside. I'm not saying it doesn't happen the other way around, but radical quick change comes from the outside, not from the inside. And I think that's what needs to happen right now and what's going on right now today uh that having been said i think it needs to be a partnership i think it needs to be from with inside and from outside but if if people are just going to let it go and let the status quo maintain that's what's going to happen but i think right now as in perfectly expressed and do the right thing um it's time for radical change and i think that more people are on the same page with that and are getting the attention of, of those that need to, you know, I don't think a lot of people realize that one in 1000 black men is killed by a police officer. That's a real statistic. That's, I mean, John Oliver even said it. And so um, the fact that film and arts can express in this way with do the right thing with what's going on in the real world. I think that's a magical thing. I think it's a powerful thing. And I think that we need to pay attention to this stuff, not let it go, you know, 20 years before something happens to kind of bring things to the forefront and remind us, Oh yeah, there was a movie about this. Mm -hmm. And there've been a lot of movies about this too. So it's, of course, it's, it's an ongoing Ongoing thing. And I just recently watched a doc- docu-series that was like, it was originally on CNN, but I hadn't, I didn't have CNN then talking about the movies and the history of the movies and the different decades. And when they were talking about do the right thing, um, and I believe it was, they were talking to Spike Lee specifically. And he, you know, he was saying that some people said that, that Spike Lee was saying that what Mookie did wasn't the right thing. And he's like, that's totally not at all what I was saying at all. And right. people didn't really understand then if they're saying that, um, what I was saying when I said do the right thing. Um, because it, it's this time when you see Mookie going from that passive person to an active person. That's really what it is, is he's passively watching things go by. Um, and then he becomes an active participant and that, that at least that's the way I, I kind of viewed it was that was he comes from goes from the passive character to the active character in that moment. And in that moment, he's doing the right thing 
And, you know, Ossie Davis's character, of course, famously says in the movie, do the right thing to him when he's just talking to him and saying, you know, always do the right thing. And I think in his head and in reality, what he did was the right thing. Um, but, you know, it's it's the whole no justice, no peace. That's what that means is you can't have peace if you don't have justice. You know, real justice. Um, we saw someone um, at one of the rallies we're doing with these kids. And he had a T-shirt on it that says no justice, no peace. But it was spelled K-N-O-W. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no but justice. Think, yeah. You'll know justice when you know peace. Is that what you're saying? He said, right? Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's powerful. Well, let's let's talk about the ending scene. Um, the very last scene between Mookie and Sal, because um, I just think that's a very very interesting little dynamic there. So, what are your thoughts on that, Eli? Um, I one it was it was um powerful in that that was the last thing um that Sal's character thought he'd be expecting the, the next day right was was for Mookie to come back and, and to want to get paid after what he saw is starting the whole thing um and when they're throwing the money he's, he's throwing the money back at Sal um just that sense of I don't want your money I want what you owe me um and that was all that he was trying to get the entire time he didn't want to be treated special he didn't want anything extraordinary he just wanted wanted what he was due mm-hmm and Pasha? It it helped me kind of re-examine a very deep personal experience I had. And so for, I might have had a different point of view because I applied it to my a real-life experience I had where I had been hurt and money was thrown at my feet. And I reached out and picked it up. And I was so ashamed that I picked it up and walked away with it for all these years. And so it was very cathartic. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't expect it was very cathartic for me to reframe that, that no, that was my money and more, you know? And so for me, it was actually, you know, I, I, I commend his character for picking up that money and for making that be okay. Does that make sense at all? (laughs) Yeah, no, it does. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And Tiffany. I look at it as reluctant reparations. Um, the way that uh, that Sal, he's angry. He's angry at Mookie having the audacity to demand his pay, what he's earned, what he what he is owed. Like Eli said, uh, he feels like he like he shouldn't pay. And I, I just I put that in the context of the U.S. today. Well. They think, oh, slavery was so long ago. Um, slavery oh. doesn't affect the people that are living today. Uh, well, I beg to differ because when you look at the, the wealth gap between white families and between black families, it very much is prevalent today. And that is due to systemic racism. Uh, that's due to the, the school to prison pipeline. It is extremely prevalent. And the fact that this country has never never, ever, ever uh, looked at that dead on and say, hey, you know what? We owe the descendants of the people that we enslaved something. We owe you something. And that 
that is exactly how Sal viewed it. He was he was mad. He was angry. He was um, livid at the fact that Mookie felt he was old, and and that's exactly how I look at it today. I look at it as that's the the whole uh, that's the whole shebang in a nutshell of the U.S. Yep, very much so. I mean, we're we still want statues up <laughs> to horrible, horrendous people. I mean. Yeah, it's, and that's another, and I think that whole scene is also still, it's, it's kind of a, um, what's the word I'm looking for, but it's, it's kind of an extension of him throwing the trash can through the window. Um, still saying, well, yeah, I, I did that. There is nothing wrong with what I did and you still owe me. You still owe me. Um, and not just the, the, the money part, but you owe me. And yeah, it's just a very interesting scene because I think in a lot of other movies, you would have probably had the the whole movie end when Smiley smiles. I think the movie would have ended there and you wouldn't have had um, more happen. You wouldn't have had the ending that you had. Um, And I, I think it's a, it's a good ending to have on there because it says so much without the actual words. Like there's so much underneath them fighting back and when they're battling back and forth about take the money, no, take the money, no, that, that whole dialogue, that whole um, exchange is such a symbol of the country as a whole. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just, and I think that's why it's, it's just such a powerful way to end the movie. Um, and it says so much about the world and about those characters too. And where they, and it's almost this weird, weird thing where they, I, they don't at all fine. Like, I'm not saying like everything is better and okay, but it's weird that they almost have this peaceful exchange at the end that they kind of come together in a way, um, which I'm not saying at all, like <laughs> Sal's a better person at all. Cause he's not, but they just had this weird, you know, it's almost like, okay, they battled and then they almost shook hands at the end, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, but I think it is great that Mookie in the end ended up picking up the money, the money that he wasn't going to pick up because there is a, there is power yeah. in that, that statement. Like you yeah. were have, mentioning. Yeah. Pressure. Having, yeah. Having physically lived that myself, like actually been in that exact situation where money was thrown at my feet. And to have be able to reframe that without shame that I was that I picked up the money and I walked away. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with saying, yes, this is what I am owed. I, you know, this is what you owe. This is what you should do because that in itself is doing the right thing. Whether it's reluctant or not, it's something you should do. I guess. Yeah, and and you know, going into also what you were mentioning, Tiffany, with just a little tiny smidge of reparations there, just a tiny smidge, not a big, not, you know, what needs to actually be done. Um, but yeah, just what this country owes, what this, the atrocities this country perpetrated, this, the atrocities that my ancestors, you know, perp- we have to, white people have to come to the realization that our ancestors did this, did 
our ancestors were part of slavery, our ancestors, you know, and, and we're part of systemic racism. I mean, we benefit from it, you know, no matter what, no matter if we're poor or not, we benefit from systemic racism. And we have to realize that too. And that's a thing that this country does not want to face or deal with. And that's what this film and that's what is happening right now is trying to shine a light on. And, you know, and I, I really hope change happens. It's, it's so hard to um, be optimistic when you look at this movie being 31 years old and it's, it basically is the same today. It's sad when you see that. That's the same. I mean, when you see people yeah. fighting to keep statues up of oppress and of oppressors, you know, you would never see people fighting to keep a statue of Hitler up. It just wouldn't happen. It's you know, sad you- that I have to have a, a different conversation with my black son about getting mm-hmm. pulled over than my white son. It's sad that, yeah, that that is still a thing. It's just not right, and, and I just don't. Like you, I'm, I'm losing my words. I don't have words for how much needs to change. But I have faith that it will at least continue to evolve. Yeah. Well, we've already pretty much touched on the lasting impact of the film and its significance today. Um, but is there anything anybody else wants to add to that or add to... Uh, Spike Lee and his impact on film, Eli? Um, I think that something needs to, I, I kind of feel bad if, if I didn't mention, we uh, touched on it uh, briefly earlier, but was Radio Raheem's left-hand, right-hand speech. Um, I thought that was incredibly powerful um, and just kind of showing the true heart of Radio Raheem, that, that he wasn't a hateful man. He wasn't, uh, he was a loving guy that just wanted, you know, he wanted everybody to love everybody down deep. You can tell he did. Um, and then for him to have those two rings um, and to give that left-hand, right-hand speech, I thought it really showed the true character um, of Radio Rahim. Yeah. And Pasha? I think, I think that Spike Lee changed how filmmaking is done and viewed from um, the Black point of view. I mean, there have been black filmmakers before, but I think that just his style, the way he is stylistically, uh, and that he challenged people uh, was, you know, but that that the movies were commercially successful and they endure today and they're still valid and legitimate today uh, says a lot about his talent and about him as a person and also tying in with the fandom thing the fact that he's able to put his own fandoms into his own movies and and touch on things that make it applicable and relatable to everyone is is, is subtle and very cool Mm -hmm. and tiffany Uh, spike is not worried about who he offends He's really not. He is um, about, like uh, Pasha said, challenging the status quo. He is about 
making stories that matter to his own lived experience and to the black community's lived experience. Um, he is willing to go the extra mile, I think, to make sure these stories are done well. Not just done, but done well. I think that's the important part of it. Um, I'm thinking about the fact of how long it took him to make a story like Malcolm X um, and making sure that was cast extremely well and making sure that he could get somebody like Denzel to play that part and to, I mean, I'm talking about absolutely to a T, he had Malcolm's mannerisms down. Exactly, um, yeah. And just, I mean, such a such an incredible film. Uh, when you look at it, you talk about being relevant, and that's even further behind than, than Do the Right Thing. Do the Right Thing was 89, and we're talking about, you know, the the 40s, 50s, and 60s for um, something like Malcolm X. And even though it's a work of fiction, it almost feels like it's a biography. It almost feels like a biopic when you watch it. Um, it there's a lot of fictional elements in it, but it feels to me like a true, true, uh, almost like a documentary Um mm-hmm when you watch it again and uh, Spike Spike is willing to do that. He's willing to do that. He's making, he's willing to make you feel uncomfortable. Something like black Klansmen, you know, that's just a few, that's just a couple oh, years old. Yeah. He's yeah, going he to make, got, yeah. He's finally got an Academy Award for black Klansmen. Finally. Exactly. exactly. So you, you talk about not being recognized. It's, uh, there's a saying, you know, give people their flowers while they're alive. And uh, he finally got his flowers for, for Black Klansmen. So uh, he should have gotten it for Do the Right Thing. He should have gotten something for mm-hmm. Malcolm X. Uh, it, it's just, and honestly, to me, he should have gotten something for Crippling, which I think is a, a really, really underrated work of Spike. Really underrated. But so yeah. good if you've never seen it. Yeah. I agree. And, and like I mentioned on, um, on our last podcast, when we talked about love and basketball, because he was a producer on that film, um, it's still hard for him to get things made. It was hard for him to get his latest film made. Um, you know, he still struggles to get, get his work more made, but he doesn't, like you said, Tiffany, he's never going to apologize for what he's going to say. He's never going, he's going to say what he wants to say and what he needs to say and he is a true artist um he and like i've said a couple times on here and sorry i keep repeating it but he knows how to use the medium well and i think a lot of times some filmmakers don't some filmmakers become um too showy um but he definitely knows how to use it he knows how to use music i think that's the other thing we haven't really talked about as much um but he knows how to use music in movies uh of course you've got fight the power for do the right thing but i think music is such a powerful thing in all of his movies it plays such a pivotal role every score in his film um you know of course he did mo better blues too but he just he knows how to use music and i think that takes a real talent um, and it's got to be also the people that help him behind the scenes as well. And he's a really, really good writer. He's a really good writer. All his characters are fully realized. You know, I mean, you were talking earlier, Eli, about uh, about the, I think it was you, Eli, or Pasha, you were talking about the three guys who are just sitting around and talking, the older guys. 
And those characters were fully realized, and they're not necessarily the biggest characters in the movie, but they're still fully realized, so you can still connect to them. And that's a real gift to be able to do that, because a lot of times in writing, someone will leave those other characters as just, you know, waitress number one or something, you know, and not give them a lot to do. But he doesn't do that. Um, It is sad to hear about Rosie Perez being uncomfortable on the set, I will say, because Sounds like he didn't really help too much with that, I will say, from reading that quote. I just looked that up after you said that, um, Tiffany. But, yeah, but he's he's just – he's a really, really talented filmmaker who should have won that Oscar a long time ago. And I'm so glad that he walked out of the auditorium after Green Book won Best Picture because, <laughs> I mean, to follow up with giving that and then giving an award to Green Book is just – Yeah. <laughs> It's almost like a, almost like a slap in the face. Exactly. Uh, you know, I, I grease your palm with one hand and then I snatch it back with the other. Yeah, uh, yeah that was, um, that was a hard pill to swallow. I think that was, that was really hard. Um, yeah. But I, I like what you said about um, his scoring. Uh, he uses Terrence Blanchard for the majority of his films. And Terrence has a, a real lived experience um, being, you know, being a black man in the U.S. and then he's also from New Orleans. So he's got a wealth of, um, of experience living in the South and living in a place like New Orleans that is a uh, amalgamation of, of just a ton of cultural aspects uh, from, you know, you've got French, you've got indigenous, you've got um, African elements, and then you've got... Uh, also, like uh, not just indigenous to the uh, North America, but indigenous from the Caribbean as well. So Terrence has a has a, a huge influx of, um, of of interesting layers to his music. I think so. I, I like I really like that you uh, that you focused on that, Aaron. I think that was um, something that we we missed a bit. Yeah, music. Well, I'm a I'm a music geek first and foremost. I think music is the most powerful medium out there. Honestly, um, I think it 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 can be used in bad ways as well. But yeah, he's just very. It's his in his movies. Music is used so powerfully. And um, just really quickly, since Eli shared this with uh, Pasha and Tiffany and I, um, there's a new version of um, fight the power out there that on YouTube and I should put it in the show notes link because it's, it's really, really good. And I highly recommend, and I guess it was, it was on, um, wasn't it on an awards show too? Yeah. It was on the BET. Yep. It was on BET. Okay. Yeah. That was, it was really, really good. Um, is there anything anybody else wants to point out about this movie or any other um, last points you guys want to, Make sure we mention Eli. No, I, I, I think we touched on most of it. I just, um, I always go back to that Radio Raheem scene, um, left hand, right hand. Um, I remember when I, when I first saw it being very powerful and, and now to rewatch it now um, and to see what a, a true gentle loving soul he was and how he was killed um, makes it even more, makes it hurt a little bit more. Uh, for me, it was just, like I said, I hadn't seen it when I was younger and, and um, seeing it now with the current events that are happening, it, 
the parallels with real life, you know, having seen the real news footage of someone being killed by the police in the exact same way that Radio Rahim lost his life in the movie, I just, of course, I just sobbed. I just sobbed the whole time. I thought that the uh, parallels were just so real and so raw and tragic uh, that it's still happening all the time. My my adopted stepfather is a retired cop, and unfortunately, he was not one of the good guys. He was a racist, abusive, horrible person. And so I've seen it from the other side. And, uh, yeah, I think that it fires me up to want to try and, and volunteer more and try to encourage more change. And Tiffany? Uh, you know, it, it saddens me that a 31-year-old film still feels as fresh as it does. Uh, the only thing that's almost different is just clothing um, and, and parts of the music. But everything else feels the same as today. You know, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Eric Garner, Tamir Rice, Orlando Castile, Andres Cardardo. Everything is still exactly the same. And I think that that feeling of, of helplessness and hopelessness that, that layers in the film can carry over to how we feel in real life, but we can't let it do that, that we have to push through. And like you said, Aaron, earlier about Mookie finally having that breakthrough and that anger coming out, we have to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. We have to be angry about things. We cannot be complacent. Whether you feel like, uh, like peaceful process is the way to go, just get out there and do it. And it, I guess activism takes different, it takes different, things and takes different ways for people. Not everybody's going to be on the front lines and not everybody can provide uh, monetary assistance, but if that's the way you can do it, if you can help monetarily, if you can help with um, making, uh, giving medical treatment to protesters, do that. Just find something to do. Uh, don't, don't be complacent. And I, I think that's what the film tells us. Exactly. Wonderfully put. Yeah. Don't be passive, be active, and in whatever way that is for you. Because like you said, Tiffany, sometimes it is it is a peaceful protest. Other times it's not. Sometimes it's money. But whatever it is, you have to be active because that's the only way things change. You can't just wait for everybody else to change it for you because as we've said, this movie is 31 years old. It's not a year old. It's not five years old. You know, it's 31 years old. And it could be made today. And like you were saying, Tiffany, they would just change the clothing and maybe some of the music. And so that shouldn't sit right with any of us. You know, this should be something that, you know, we don't think could be made today, but sadly can, you know. And I know just just here with with Elijah McLean and with another recent report that came out about something that the Aurora Police Department did, because the Aurora Police Department isn't utter shameful, shameful, shameful department, um, you know, change needs to be made and we can't be passive any longer. And we have to find ways to be active and to help make that change actually happen so that 31 years from now, we aren't saying do the right thing could be made today. So 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely some changes that need to be made in Aurora, especially. I mean, the, the same department um, that killed Elijah McClain also um, has a member of their own force that was found drunk in his car and was simply mm-hmm. helped out. Yep. So, um, yep. some change needs to happen in Aurora. Yep, and everywhere. But yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and before we close out, I just want to acknowledge um, the passing of John Lewis. Since we're speaking about this, I think, you know, John Lewis was an amazing, amazing human being. And I just wanted to go around and just see if anybody wanted to to say anything about John Lewis. Um, I just wanted to acknowledge that. So, Eli, do you want to say anything? Yeah, um, of course. Uh, there was a, a terrible loss for the country. Um, he was the conscience of, of, of the Congress. Um, and... Um, what what really strikes me is it is in working with Ten for Ten, uh, we're seeing a lot of young black leadership, um, and I, I just can only hope and pray that some of them will now study more about John Lewis and and his life and how it started as a young activist and what he went through, and hopefully um, he will inspire this next generation. And Pasha, I. You know, um, he, he, you know, rest in power. I mean, he fought the good fight and he, a lot of the way he fought was taking the beating and still having the strength to get back up and square his shoulders, even with a cracked skull and keep working and keep fighting for what he knew, knows, knew is still right all the time. And that's something that is an example that we all should have and do. One of the quotes, one of the things he had talked about was, don't just be an ally, be uh, an accomplice, as in, as in you help people to accomplish things. And so being a, a, an accomplice, um, like you said, Tiffany, in whatever way you can, whether that is through financial support or uh, going out and volunteering, or even, even if it's sharing legitimate real news about what's going on out there on social media, do what you can in order to be an accomplice and uh, you know, not just him, but there's so many amazing, powerful people out there that we still have with us and we just need to honor and respect them and uh, you know, and, and lead our youth at the same time, letting our youth lead themselves. Uh, as he, as he did. Mm-hmm. And Tiffany. I, I read somewhere that um, somebody said that had a good, had a good uh, take on it, that John Lewis was obviously a part of, uh, I guess the, the big six of, of the civil rights movement. Uh, he lived to be an old man. And that is, that's really something if you think about it, because Dr. King was so, uh, died so young, you know, was murdered so young, Malcolm X so young, all of these uh, Medgar Evers so young. And then you've got somebody like John Lewis who was able to get into like what we call that good trouble uh, for, for years and years. He was 80 years old and, and he was able to do a lot. Um, but I think his, his activism should inspire the younger generations. He was only 23 during the, the March on Washington. And he was only, I believe he was only 20 or 21 during the Bloody Sunday 
uh, on the March on Selma. Uh, it, it's something that uh, he might have actually been younger than that. Now that I think about it, uh, I think he might have been 17 or 18. So to think about something like that, putting your body on the front lines, like uh, like Pasha said, getting your skull cracked and getting back up, rather to live on my feet than die on my knees. That type of mentality uh, is something that I think he gave us. And exactly, rest in peace, rest in power, and uh, let's all of us get into that good trouble. Yeah, yeah. And one more, one more thing, um, tying in, do the right thing with uh, civil activism and polit- political activism. I saw it, and I'm trying to look it back up now. Uh, one of the actors, one of the actors is now running for office. He's actually. Oh, man. Yeah, here it is. Richard Harbisham. He was uh, a child actor that uh, played. Uh, um, uh, he was the kid that got the money to go buy the Miller High Life. Remember that uh-huh. young kid? He now is uh, running for Harlem's 13th congressional seat. So. Uh, and I read an interview where he was talking about how doing that movie shaped his whole life and how leaders like, you know, Lewis and, and the others, um, like I said, that it inspires the youth, but it also we need to give the youth the room to lead themselves as well. He was talking. About. Sorry, just an interesting. No, that's OK. No, that's cool. Um, yeah. And I'll just I'm just going to read a couple of. John Lewis quotes here. First, just this one that the Daily Show posted, um, which goes back to when you were talking about Tiffany, how um, Malcolm X and and Martin Luther King and so many people were murdered and and died so young. Um, And he talked about, uh, during the 60s, I was arrested 40 times. And since I've been in Congress, another five times, and I'll probably get arrested again for something else. But you have to be prepared to say, you may beat me, you may arrest me, and throw me in jail. I almost died on that bridge for the right to vote. I gave a little blood, but other people gave their lives. So it's that thing of, you know, not being passive, being active. Um, That's a great quote. That's an, mm-hmm. I mean, that's an awesome quote. Yeah. And another one I, I, I want to read is, um, it's from Across That Bridge, A Vision for Change and the Future of America. You are a light. You are the light. Never let anyone, any person, or any force dampen, dim, or diminish your light. Study the path of others to make your way easier and more abundant. Lean toward the whispers of your own heart. Discover the universal truth and follow its dictates. Release the need to hate, to harbor division, and the enticement of revenge. Release all bitterness. Hold only love, only peace in your heart, knowing that the battle of good to overcome evil is already won. Choose confrontation wisely, but when it is your time, don't be afraid to stand up, speak up, and speak out against injustice. And if you follow your truth down the road to peace and the affirmation of love, if you shine like a beacon for all to see, then the poetry of all the great dreamers and philosophers is yours to manifest in a nation, a world community, and a beloved community that is finally at peace with itself. Yep, so definitely rest in peace and rest in power to a great, wonderful man.
Okay, well, let's go around and we can close out. Um, starting with you, Eli, if you want to tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, on uh, social media, uh, mostly on Facebook. We're also on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can hit me up at Parasol Patrol. Yeah, parasolpatrol.com. Um, sorry, .org. <laughs> you would think I know, would know my... Uh, and there's a lot of information on on what we do and about a lot of information on what we're doing now with the youth and with marches uh, and how other people can help. And Tiffany? You can find me mostly on Twitter at whoistiffisme. That's W-H-O-I-S-T-I-F-F-I-S-N-E. Uh, you can also hit me up on Instagram, same name at who is tip is me, generally not on there as much. And, uh, I also write for the game of nerds and we're always looking for writers. So if you like reviewing video games, if you like reviewing film and television, anything that really kind of floats your boat, we're always looking for writers and that's the game of nerds. We're at the game of nerds on Instagram, on, uh, Twitter, and then also the Game of Nerds on Facebook. You can just reach out, and our uh, CEO and founder, Shannon Parola, will get back to you ASAP. Wonderful. And I'll be linking both of uh, the Parasol Patrol and the Game of Nerds in our show notes so people can easily find them. And this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at EAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod on Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one on Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. Um, if you have any other feedback that you want to share via email, feel free to reach out to us via, sorry, via Gmail at it's a fandom thing pod at gmail.com. Um, and remember we are taking listener support um, and you can, do that easily by following the listener support link that'll be in the show notes or going to our anchor page and clicking on listener support there. And for as little as 99 cents a month to nine ninety nine a month, um, everything you donate from now until at least October 1st, once again, we'll be going to various black lives matter organizations. Um, and next week we are going to be talking about psychology and fandom which will be a very interesting topic to cover. So we're going to be having two topic discussions um, in the next coming weeks. We're going to have that one. And then we're also going to be having uh, the social impact of fandom as far as like give, getting involved, fandom giving back kind of stuff, um, social awareness through fandom. So those should be two weeks of some very interesting conversations to have. So until next time, remember it's a fandom thing and Black Lives Matter. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.